You're listening to Broadcast Behind the Screens, the podcast brought to you by Broadcast and Broadcast Intelligence. This week, we talked to comedian and writer Jack Rook about creating his coming-of-age comedy Big Boys on Channel 4. We'll also be catching up on the latest TV news, what we've been watching and more, so stay tuned. Hi, and welcome back to Broadcast Behind the Screens. I'm Heather Fallon, one of the reporters at Broadcast. And I'm Alice Redman, Head of Content at Broadcast Intelligence. And you are safely back on UK shores after having been away for far too long for my liking. I know, I'm so glad to be back, although I'm currently battling through the worst jet lag I've ever had in my life. I've been up since about 4am, so I'm slightly thinking once this recording is over, I might have a nap. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I was in LA for Real Screen and then in Canada for Banff World Media Festival, which was just such an amazing time and met so many great people and had such a lovely lovely time out there at the conferences you know so what were some of the kind of main talking points some of the main themes that were going across real screen and bam yeah so I was thinking about this um before we started recording and I think for me there's three things that really stood out across both festivals Firstly was kind of how much the UK content travels and is really valued in both the US and the Canadian market. In Banff, they had the Rocky Awards um, and Help, which I think to me is a show that feels really British, really Channel 4, that won the Grand Jury Prize. And that was like, I think it's something like the third or fourth time in a row that a UK show has won that. So that was really interesting and really nice nice to know but also I think in a lot of the commissioning focus sessions there was a real call for content from Canada the US and the UK just across the board and a lot more kind of not I wouldn't say it's necessarily like a huge increase in the uh, need for co-productions like compared to what people were maybe saying about last year I think it's been going this way for a long long time but I think you know the answer that a lot of the linear broadcasters from all three of these territories and wider kind of are answering the how do we compete with the streamers and how do we deal with increasing budgets question with this you know well we co-produce which I think you know isn't really nice it's nice to hear everyone's like everyone's looking to collaborate and work with new people and things like that and it kind of a lot of people were saying you know if you've got a commission in a you know channel five in the UK of course I'm going to listen to you as a big US network kind of thing so that was really really good to hear um global collaboration global collaboration and as well as a lot of like but we don't we don't really mind either if it's really UK specific because our audience still understand that and that is obviously it's kind of part of this weird circle where it's like the streamers have meant that linear networks are struggling to compete but they've also meant that the territory specific audiences are more likely to watch content from outside of their territory so it's like a circle that believe the streamers have caused this struggle and then given the linear networks an answer as well so that's really kind of nice in a way yeah I think that's quite a good conclusion to draw from your international travels yeah and the third thing um I really love like this is just more of a fun thing was I really loved hearing about specific mandates for the channels because I think the US in particular is a really really fun it, well, I find it like fun to hear about way just so much more specific demographics for their channels. I was caught up with um, Sean Olson, who is VP of Development, Programming and Production um, from a channel over there called Game Show Network, who 
really do kind of what they say on the tin they are just game show focus but he was describing the audience you know he's like a female they're midwestern or southern and they're housewives and they watch the shows all day and they play along and then he was like so they're they'll shop at walmart not target as like a really big kind of distinction for his audience and I was like in UK terms it's kind of like yeah they'll shop at Asda not necessarily Tesco's or Waitrose and I just thought yeah that's we all know what that means yeah like it's a nicer way of saying they're they aren't as well off or you know the demo just is a little bit more working class it just it just really like made me smile as a way of kind of describing your audience yeah So in terms of TV news closer to home, this week broadcast broke the very exciting news that ITV is closing in on bringing Big Brother back to our screens. And while no agreement has been formally reached, it is understood that ITV is in advanced discussions. And the goal of this revived format is going to be going back to basics rebooting the show to reflect a big mix of kind of contemporary Britain with former housemates like Nadia Almeida and Adam Nolan being discussed as the kind of cast they'd like to see. So that's very exciting news from the UK. It is exciting, but I'm kind of wondering, can you get an authentic Big Brother close to the early series again? I mean, we live in a world where people go on game shows to become influencers and to get that kind of social media notoriety and I think any like even if I as someone who has minimal interest in a boohoo clothing deal even if I or someone or you Heather went on Big Brother you'd you'd have in your mind you're playing the game a bit you know you have to be likable you know you have to be honest and authentic and you kind of I don't know if they can capture the true magic of people that don't really know those reality moments that instantly become iconic like the who is she from nikki graham yeah exactly i'm i'm happier that it's going to be a mix of kind of the general public rather than celebrities because i think while celebrity reboots do really well might bring in kind of larger audiences i think the authenticity of a medley of people from all walks of life around the uk make for more iconic moments and they pull out these stars out of almost nowhere I mean you can definitely feel it in reality shows like Love Island have skewed a lot more towards people tailoring their actions and making sure that you know they can qualify for a fashion deal or something afterwards but I'd be interested to see how it goes I think it's such an intensive experience and it's not without its controversies but I think if if it's done well it could it could be really really great yeah I think it's all in the casting as well I was thinking I was I was editing our interview with today's guest and and a big character in big boys is uh, the fish called Alison Hammond and with a show like Love Island you're never gonna find your next Alison Hammond like you need big brother and you need it to cast very well and very broad, you know, all ages, all shapes and sizes, all races, genders, sexuality. You need that kind of melting pot to be able to find your next Alison Hammond. And you know what? We need more Alison Hammonds in this world. We do. So last week we did Greenlight of the Week, which was a Commissioning Conversations classic. So this week we're going to alternate and go for What Have You Been Watching, which was a Broadcast News Wrap classic. So, Heather, 
what have you been watching this week? <laughs> what have I been watching? Uh, I really enjoyed watching Tyrone Productions' The Real Derry. So it had Jamie Lee O'Donnell, who is in Derry Girls, and she kind of goes back to you know her homeland I it really helped me fill the Derry girls shaped void in my heart now that the show is over and I thought I don't know her love of her city really shone through and I appreciated that she wasn't afraid to kind of shy away from some really challenging questions um so it didn't feel superficial in a way that sometimes I think celebrity fronted docs can do she she was really good I'd happily sit through a lot more documentaries with Jamie Jamie Lee O'Donnell she was great elsewhere I've become one of the many Kate Bush fans that have been busting running up that hill because I caught up with Stranger Things uh, I didn't like the series as much as the last couple but it's kind of hard to ignore the impact and the cultural phenomenon that is Stranger Things oh, you didn't like it as much no I just think they're too old now I think I mean, not that they can help that. <laughs> it wasn't like me. The, the charm of these kind of sweet kids that are going around and, you know, solving sci-fi Dungeons and Dragons questions is just a little bit lost on me now, I think. I think I'm a bit of a, too much of a diehard, geeky Stranger <laughs> Things fan to uh, have any criticisms of it. Unfortunately, I just, it's one of my favourite shows. I love it so, so much. And me and my sister, um, we, I came home to see, we both came home to see my dad this weekend and we ended up being like, should we watch the first series of Stranger Things? And it is so strange to see them like going from actual adults to, uh, to like these tiny, tiny children and they are so sweet and uh, it's just hilarious. And of course, I have to mention the subject of this week's pods. Uh, it may well be in my, I'm going to say top three shows of the year so far, which was Channel 4's Big Boys. It's been an absolute delight. It's filled to the brim with silliness, sadness. It's just wonderful. I've just loved it. Yeah, I think we're going to have a bit of a debate on our hands when we do our shows of the year at the end of the year about you know who gets big boys because I binge watched it I was messaging Heather like Heather you will love this this is very up our street like it is our sense of humor and our sense of warmth as well which is nice I'm with you there is definitely one of my top top shows of the year for sure So, yes, let's talk a bit more about Big Boys. Well, it was a five-year journey for Jack to get Big Boys onto our screens. It started off life as an Edinburgh comedy set. And as we've already alluded to, is absolutely brilliant. So maybe we should let Jack tell us all about it in his own words. Yeah, as I said, it's so... Nice to meet you. I absolutely breezed through Big Boys. It was it's definitely up there, one of my shows of the year so far. I I'm really like chuffed with the general response to it. I think the response has been slightly um overwhelming. And also just really nice because of the sort of what the show is. And I think, you know, I said in this Guardian article I wrote a couple of weeks ago, like TV has long neglected showing male friendships of you know straight and a gay guy who are just best mates and that's it 
it's really not much more deep than than that like so I'm so chuffed that people have loved it and got on board yeah and it's it's weird to think that there aren't more portrayals of it because it's more common than than you would think like it's like the most common I mean it really isn't like that revolutionary it's just that telly telly does this weird thing isn't it it's like an odd thing it represents us but it's been representing us a bit skew if for like the last 50 years and it's only in the last like five that I really feel like we're trying to sort of correct you know some realities if that makes sense yeah and I read um another interview that you did where you were talking about how rather than the kind of usual gay best friend trope it's a story about a gay person's straight best friend and I absolutely love that yeah that was always sort of at the key of what I wanted it to be really and people do you know what it was so sort of odd like when I because the show originally started about five years ago and when I first started pitching it and it was at um, another channel uh, they really were like they just didn't believe it. They just didn't believe that those relationships really existed. They didn't get the sort of humour, the niche kind of Gamu, Alison Hammond, like as a fish references. They just were like, this is too specific and too, you know, it's not broad enough. And actually, I think it's the opposite. I think Big Boys might be the broadest thing I ever write or make because there are so many like gay people with straight best mates. And, you know, it's more likely to be that way around than the other. And I think that actually straight guys on the whole you know they also love the whole same like cultural things that like a lot of gay men do like the amount of straight guys I know that like follow love of Hans on Instagram I was just about to say and and, you know find it just as funny and just as engaging and like you know I think actually our generation or certainly generation that I'm in there's much more that binds us together than divides us in terms of those sort of like cultural things and so you know I actually I'm really glad that the show's done so well just as a bit of like a a polite um, fu to the previous commissioners. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll get in trouble for saying that. But no, actually, I won't get in trouble for saying that. It's the truth. I'm sure they would probably put their hands up and admit that. Yeah, definitely. And I have to say, <laughs> <laughs> my um, co-host of the podcast, Alice, was absolutely begging me to mention that she identified with your character so much because she's from Luton. Uh, and oh, yeah. oh, Watford all... and Luton, yeah. There's, <laughs> there's history there. She often says her mum is just like Pam. Um, so opening <laughs> episode, she was like, this guy. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. It's so nice. I, I like, Also, it's been so nice to represent characters like my mum, characters like Peggy and women like that, because, you know, my mum has always felt, as a, especially as a widow and, and an early widow, you know, widow in her 50s, that like mm. culturally she's always felt quite invisible to a certain extent so it's always nice to tell her story and for her character to be having just as much of a fresh start as those two boys going to uni you know like all of us have fresh starts throughout our lives and new chapters beginning and it's nice to tell both sides of that yeah that's so sweet and you've kind of hinted at it a little bit already but could you tell me how the series came to fruition with channel four it's your debut show and it had a bit of a journey but how did it come to channel four's doorstep and what happened from there so we i did the show at the edinburgh fringe i did a couple called good grief and happy hour and it was namely happy hour that got me a script commission to do a pilot for bbc3 And we filmed and shot that at the end of 2018 and it just sort of became clear that they weren't really interested. And Mm. even when we were making the pilot, it really felt like all the crew on set and I'd never stepped on the set before, so I didn't know how it worked. And it was really, really new, really green. 
And they were all like, this feels like a Channel 4 show. Don't you think this is like a Channel 4 show? And it just kind of did. And I think Channel 4 has that long history. Like it's got the receipts of supporting queer writers, supporting LGBTQ plus stories, supporting mental health stories the best, supporting class stories the best. Like Shameless to me growing up was one of the greatest TV programs of all time. Like, and I just think Channel 4 have 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 got their receipts, so to speak, of doing that kind of off-kilter, you know, telling a story that perhaps you know it does take five years to convince people to to make it type thing and yeah and so when it landed at channel four it landed with the comedy commissioner at the time there called john petrie who'd produced the pilot who went from producing big boys to channel four and now and he's just had felt a like at the BBC. And now he's had a commissioning at bbc so i'm always very conscious to not be mean about the bbc because john pointing is my hit john pointing john petrie sorry is my hero and has sort of mentored me all throughout the whole process, even when he's hopped from production company to channel to whatever. Yeah. And I think the new, you know, the new age at the BBC, I mean, John Petrie's already commissioned loads more queer writers than we've had in the last 10 years there. And like, he's been there for what, a second? Like, we've already got Moan series. We've got so much exciting stuff there. So I'm never, I don't want to be critical of the BBC. I love you, BBC. However, <laughs> it did feel like it should have been at Channel 4. And I'm so chuffed yeah. that they took it on. And then it was just COVID that got in the way and delayed it, really. Um, it definitely feels like a show in Channel 4's wheelhouse, doesn't it? And I yeah. bet they're really thrilled that they made it because it's had such a nice <laughs> yeah. reception. Good old Ian Katz has been in touch and he's, he? he's a, a big fan and sent me a really lovely email. And I'm a big fan of his, actually. I think he's really a really incredible sort of beacon for storytelling, both like in the principles of news and journalism mm. and his background and also like comedies and dramas and fusing all that stuff and taking risks. So like... Uh, yeah, I was really chuffed he, he emailed. That is very <laughs> it was like, cool. It was That's very head cool. teacher emails <laughs> year seven students to be like, well done on sports day. Yeah, you've got a gold star. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 10 points for Gryffindor. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's part of the appeal of Big Boys is it feels really extremely specific to the UK. A lot of commissioners on kind of global streaming platforms use this term glocal, which I absolutely hate, um, which is when it's, you know, trying to appeal to a global audience, but then also feeling very, you know, regionally specific to a country, say, in a similar vein to like sex education, which actually does a really fantastic job. But I think there are so many cultural touchstones in big boys, like the fact that you have a fish named Alison Hammond and there's this really incredible moment where Danny confuses Anne Frank and Tracy Beaker, and Tracy Beaker. <laughs> I think is one of my favorite bits of the whole show um were there any jokes that were too specific that they didn't make the cut or were you ever too concerned or met with resistance that certain jokes were just too niche oh uh, the Tracy Beaker and Frank one got cut like three times and I just kept writing it back in. <laughs> I just I'm so kept glad like, it made the cut. I was just, it would get, it was in at one and then got cut from at one and then I put it in at two and then it got cut from at two. So I put it in at six, it got cut from at six and I put it back in at two and was like, has anyone noticed? Have they noticed? <laughs> Like it really is one of those things, but no, I don't think so. And on the whole, I think everyone on the commissioning team at Channel Four and on the production team at Rough Cut were really keen to keep that British cultural pop culture voice in there, which I was so chuffed about because you're right that there is a pressure to create things that are going to be globally translatable, and I still think that's a valid you know thing to want to do you know we want to create stories that are going to be watched and experienced by as many people as possible but I don't think that that means that you actually have to like scrub out the specificity and I, and mm. I don't think that you I think it's fine that there's a whole episode set in a harvester 
because there <laughs> is going to be a US equivalent of that. There's going to be a whatever equivalent of like the family chain restaurant. Like my favorite show is Broad City. I think Broad City is one of the best comedies of like the last yes. decade. And it's full of so much niche references and even niche cameos. I have no clue who some of the people are, but all it takes is a Google. And all it takes is also just like riding along with the joke. Like you can figure it out. Like people aren't stupid. So no, I think actually I was very, very supported at Channel 4 and Rough Cut of keeping in, you know, of being like, yeah, you can have two Gamu references. Like (laughs) you can mention Gamu twice because it's still hashtag justice for Gamu in my books as far as I'm concerned completely and utterly robbed it's making me think of um you know rupaul's drug race uk where rupaul just like doesn't understand anything that's going on but just is clearly having the best time (laughs) exactly exactly and (laughs) this is what's been so lovely about writing the show whilst things like love of hands has taken off and whilst things like drag race uk has taken off because i actually feel I felt quite vindicated that the sense of humor that's in big boys that's existed since before those shows or those things were huge phenomenons. Like it actually did have legs and it does have clout and like the success of like UK Han, for example, and like all the sort of weird niche oddity of like Lawrence Bimini, <laughs> Tace and Ahura together. Like I was like, yeah, like this stuff, people love British pop culture that celebrates what it means to be from this weird place that celebrates the naffness that celebrates the sort of like, I suppose like, kind of cringeness but it's it's cringe in a loving way it's like it's never punching down it's it's always sort of you know a collective joy yeah and I think that punching down thing there's there's no nastiness in big boys which is really nice and even though it's super light-hearted in a lot of ways and there's you know jokes about Alison Hammond fishes and things like that there it is constantly weaved with sadness because you are tackling really difficult subjects you're looking at grief you're looking at mental health and it's something that you don't shy away from or trivialize which is really nice because this could have just been a fun sitcom about you moving to uni and you know getting yeah <laughs> getting laid for the first time been and... laid, drinking poppers exactly but you kind of chose to explore some really difficult thorny issues through the medium of comedy yeah I think I thought well I think it's also just because it it's come from you know Edinburgh Fringe shows it's come from it's come from me doing stand-up and telling quite honest stories that I didn't really censor that much and sometimes the most embarrassing stuff in the show is the stuff that's completely true <laughs> oh no like, you know, there's a certain degree of like fictionalizing it and a lot of the characters are kind of like three or four people I know rolled into one but I always really wanted it to feel very much like it 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 tread the line of laughing and crying because I do think that they are the same thing to me like I can mm. feel the same physiological triggers and I think it's what going through grief is like and when you go through depression I've had moments where I've like been in bed with depression feeling horrendous for weeks and the only source of joy I've had is watching Alison Hammond on this morning every day and and the the routine of it and the joy and the comfort and the like reliability of characters like that who you know Alison Hammond I also think is a brilliant interviewer like she's so she's so actually brilliant at her job and I was like, yeah, like if you've been through depression in this country, you probably have just sat in bed and watched telly all day. And like, there's a lot of telly references throughout the show. Cause I think I've always like, as a kid, we didn't go to the theater much. I never saw much like arty culture gallery stuff, but like we watched everything on TV. Like I've come from a big telly household and I always just really wanted it to 
sort of, I suppose, pay homage to all the shows that I loved and types of characters that I loved. And yeah, and yet also have that sort of, that emotional resonance with people where like I always felt when I was going through losing my dad, like I would have now loved a show like Big Boys, something that just had it in there, but also had like the rest of life still going on because that's what happens with grief. Like not everything stops, you know, you've still got to go to school and your mum's still got to get like chicken nuggets, beans and chips <laughs> on the table at six o'clock and you're still going to watch The Simpsons on Channel 4 before Hollyoaks. Like, like you're, you know, not much changes mm. apart from the huge hole left by loss. And I, I really wanted Big Boys to try and articulate that really honestly um yeah so thank you for pointing it out Heather. (laughs) no I think I think you've articulated that really nicely and you you mentioned that you know these were off the back of Edinburgh Fringe shows in terms of how you got started um you know how did you get into comedy because I also think it's quite it can be quite closed off for especially working class people well I did just like loads of pub nights I just used to rock up and like be, I remember doing my first gig at the good ship in Kilburn it was just because I lived in a student flat like a couple of streets away and was like please can I come and do some stuff and and I'd done these sort of like outreach type creative like young people creative projects I did some at the roundhouse that was in like spoken word and just sort of storytelling and I was terrible I'm <laughs> the worst I you know I call myself a recovering spoken word artist because oh, quite God. honestly the poems I wrote were dog shit um but you, you know, think we'd ever get to see, a lot those, about, see the light of day? If they come out, <laughs> I am I am moving country, quite frankly. Um, I, I, but it taught me a lot about sort of storytelling principles, I suppose. And I met amazing people and amazing writers and people like Scroobius Pip and Polar Bear and Kay Tempest and people who, who are, even though I can't, you know, I don't have the same spoken word prowess as them. <laughs> I learned a lot about what it is to tell a story and to tell truth, basically. And then I did these like Soho Theatre comedy lab things on a bursary. It was like teaching people, you know, stand up skills and comedy skills. And I just sort of blended the two whilst kind of doing stuff at a pub. And I helped run a night called Bangs of the Gun, which was above a pub in Borough, which was like a stand up poetry night where everyone shook like empty milk bottles full of chickpeas instead of clapped so it was, you just went mad like it was just chickpeas. the whole point to make as much noise we used to I just used to spend ages filling empty Cravendale bottles with chickpeas to make like rattle shaker noises so that people were just like where and just like go mad at like people doing poems about you know easy jet speedy boarding or like oh you know God. losing a condom inside themselves like mad odd stuff so I sort of started in that way and then I got to the fringe really through a lot of goodwill and charitable help and crowdfunding and stuff like that, because mm. I'm, I'm always going to be, you know, a huge advocate for the Edinburgh Fringe, but also acknowledge that it's an incredibly inaccessible festival and it has huge issues with class and diversity and race. And it's all stuff that's an ongoing part of the conversation. And COVID has made it worse. Like I'm going to the Fringe this year and I'm looking through that guide my lord it's all the rich kids it's all the parents of famous people it's all the kids that i've got you know and hey i don't hate them some of them are really talented like but it it just goes to show how inaccessible that festival is when people aren't doing the outreach projects and and there isn't things like ideas tap and stuff like that yeah you mentioned the bursary for commissioners and indies that are looking to widen their talent pools or look to other spaces if the Edinburgh Fringe isn't something that people can necessarily access then Mm. what advice would you give to them? I think it's a case of 
I always think that there are amazing local theatres and art centres doing a hell of a lot of outreach projects and education projects quite silently with continuous cuts and lack of funding and lack of support. And those places are finding kids and young people who are really interesting and who are making really, you know, fantastic, authentic work. They might be at the very early stages and need a lot of refining and a lot of honing, but like it takes time. You've got to give like people a while and you've got to be able to, you know, I'm really grateful actually with hindsight that big boys took so long because it took five Mm. years and I'm really grateful because the writer that I was when I started compared to the writer I've been the last two years I've learned so much learned so much from people like John Petrie and Fiona McDermott and Asha Taller and Bertie Peake like I I learned a lot about what it is to make something that that could have all those big silly comedy moments but still have the drama stuff that I you know have done in my live shows and it takes time so I'd say to like commissioners and people like go to theatres local theatres small art centers the places that are actually you know getting kids who who need that representation and just go and like chuck them some money go and like fund a bursary fund a writing bursary get get people like me to come and do workshops like there are so many writers that really want to level up the the playing field and you know I think um it's about just going into those grassroots positions and, and not being scared that there's no buzz there or there's no hype there. Cause it's like, Hey, you know, I spent ages in, in the roundhouse in the basement writing poems about lasagna and people dropping them <laughs> around to our doorstep. And that's now like the opening scene of big boys. So like, it's all there. It just needs discovering. No, I think that's, that's really well said. And as you say, big boys is kind of it. Well, I say semi-autobiographical. I don't know if there's a closer fraction than that, but <laughs> Were there any kind of moments that you wrote and you did think, oh, God, people are going to see this? The lasagnas aren't too embarrassing. I'm more thinking about maybe the popper scene or... Popper scene is embarrassing. The the getting my hair caught on that happens all the time. I I have really severely hurt people with sex and piercings (laughs) when I've been, you know, either getting with them Mm. or even just walking past, quite frankly. Like curly hair is a natural hook to a to a hoop piercing of any sort. (laughs) um yeah I mean there's loads of embarrassing stuff in there that's 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 quite real I mean there's the there's the whole like worrying like oh is my uh, is my dick too small for uni and then you know everyone at uni is like having sex having sex and I was there being like god I'm gay nobody here is gay like uh, is my dick big enough is uh, am I going to be good at sex am I going to be good at doing all these things and like you know you only learn through experience (laughs) that's the authenticity people want though right Exactly. It all turned out fine for me. I'm doing absolutely grand. But, you know, when you're at uni, you are a bit like, oh, you're basically like, you're like a kid and you're thrown into this world where you're like cooking for yourself and like also like trying to shag yourself type thing. Like it's weird. It's so weird. Um, And naturally, that's such a great like arena for a comedy, I think. But yeah, there's a lot of the embarrassing stuff. Um, But everyone since has just been like, like, I think everyone what's so nice is that if, when you're a young gay person going to uni especially the era I went I felt a bit excluded because it was so much about like boys getting with girls and and that mainstream stuff does creep in but then you've only got to like explore a little bit and all the queer stuff's there and the straight friends that I've had were just as happy to like you know support and like take me on down that route and be just as visible and and you know behind me so like I I don't know I always think it's um both 
both the experiences for straight people and gay people uh, on queer people in general is you're all you're all lame at uni you're mm. all cringe it's, <laughs> there's nothing you can get away from it you're all losers yeah and you did manage to create the just sweetest character I love Danny I think he's so oh, lovely <laughs> just the best want to give him a give him a hug I mean it's the yeah it's my <laughs> like I think it's probably the character that's the most important character I'll ever write mm. really and um and John Pointing's been a good friend of mine for years and years and I've always I've watched him you know play a lot of characters on TV who are really fun and really funny and he's such a great comedian but I also knew that he completely had it in him to like grab everyone's heart and play drama moments and tread that line perfectly which I think he does and so does Dylan like Dylan is just a dote like to watch <laughs> you just fall for him because he's so captures all that vulnerability that you have when you're you know a late teen and you're also a bit of a dork and you're a bit of a dweeb and you're shy like I just think the the two of them together all of his big fleeces I've still got all of my big fleeces at my mum's house in storage (laughs) somewhere like you know real yeah I've lucked we've lucked out with the cast they're amazing those fleeces are like a cultural artifact right they're very important (laughs) (laughs) yes a Borg jacket I think you'll find (laughs) I'm so sorry (laughs) And I have to ask, um, we have had a campaign at Broadcast um, before, which was the Not For Sale campaign. I've seen yeah. on your socials that you're also very proactive, uh, proactively anti-Channel 4 privatisation. And mm-hmm. I can see that you've joined the We Own It campaign. And I'd just love to hear your stance on the matter. Yeah, I mean, I think that my personal view is that Channel 4 needs to just remain exactly how it is and continue going i already think it's mid it's sort of in the midst of this expansion plan regionally that's working and doing really well so it's quite transparent i think what the current you know government are doing and it's pointless and it's not built on any credible evidence or it's nothing apart from you know a pointless power display uh, and and it's yeah it's just also a bit of a waste of time it's it's really (laughs) annoying like we're, we're kind of going through a time in this country of a cost of living crisis and and of a real like mental health crisis too and why we have deciding to focus on public service broadcasting of which you know the BBC and Channel 4 are built on principles to help people like yeah they're built on entertaining them and making them laugh but they're also built on like helping you find lumps in your breasts and like helping you figure out what your you know mental health is saying and, and and helping you find services and action lines and like like public service broadcasting is there to educate us and the to privatize something as 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 much of a necessity as that right now I think is like really dangerous and so you know I I am also like I don't I don't even think of it as like a left-wing right-wing thing I think it's like I really want I want it to be an issue that people from all over the political spectrum come together on because channel four particularly i think represents all of us you know you've got marcus and misha on gogglebox but you've also got mary and giles and we know that mary and giles are probably <laughs> leaning a bit more to the right but do i want to see them on my telly still yes of course like i, I you know and I, and I think channel four really brilliantly crafts a lot of community and togetherness and 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 it also shines a light on prejudice and division and i think it's worth fighting for in the current climate completely well thank you very much for that and i couldn't help but notice that in a tweet 
you said you want to write more big boys for publicly owned Channel 4. So does that mean we can expect a second series? Have you got more that you want to write with big boys? Hey, hey, hey. Oh, I'm 100% happy to stick my flag into the ground and say I want to write, you know, I definitely want to write more. I want to write, I want to write way more. Um, and we, you know, we're having those discussions. I think we've got to see like, you know, carry on seeing how the response is and what, you know, we get after it's been out for a month and the viewer rate. But, you know, it's all going well. And I'm really enjoying <laughs> the response and um, fingers crossed. But who knows? But yeah, I definitely, if I write it, I want to write it for a publicly owned Channel 4. I want to write it for the people who have already supported that idea for the last three, four years and have supported the specificity of Britishness in it and celebrating how things can be British and not exclusionary. And I think that's what Channel 4's principle is too. So fingers crossed. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, I think I think I'm going to wrap it up there. It was so nice to chat to you. Yeah, it's been an absolute treat. Thank you. Thanks so much, Heather. <laughs> oh, I just loved, I loved that interview so much. Like, I listened to it the first time to make my, like, editing notes. I got a bit distracted and was listening to it like it was just a podcast already, um, which was hilarious. But, um, yeah, I love that interview. I love the show. And I think Jack brought up so many interesting points, especially about kind of you know, Edinburgh Fringe and how to discover new comedians and kind of it again it's one of those things where talent is a really big thing in this industry and I think there's the point he made about you know there's going to be a lot more to be gained with nurturing someone who's really really green from the start who hasn't made it to the Edinburgh Fringe yet because of all the financial barriers in place to even just getting up to Edinburgh let alone putting on a show whilst you're there um yeah I thought that was just such a brilliant brilliant point and also, I'm also on a mission to discover his spoken word poetry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also I love that I got a cheeky shout out about our similarities as people. It had to be done. I couldn't I couldn't not mention the uh, Luton Watford rivalry. Luton Watford rivalry and both having mums that are Gavin and Stacey characters. <laughs> <laughs> But I also love how um, it was a BBC Three pilot originally and uh, everyone that was working on it just went, oh, it's a Channel 4 show, isn't it? And like, it just shows how much there's just such a um, DNA to each of these channels. Like, it's really, it's really nice to know that you can just see something and go, oh, it's a Channel 4 show. Absolutely. And that's a great place to wrap up. Yeah, thanks again to Jack for joining us and be sure to tune in next week for more interviews, TV news and more. Yep, and obviously, if you have any feedback, questions, requests, get in touch with us. We'll be back next Monday, so stay tuned. Yeah, and please do give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever you're listening, because they really do help us. But bye for now. Bye.